Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to Storytellers, where we are exploring simple truths with eternal impact through story. My name is James Savage, your host and learning partner for this series. We are in week three of a seven-part series where we are taking a deep dive into the art and importance of storytelling. We're exploring different stories and parables in scripture, and we're also pairing those stories and parables with real life stories that have taken place in our own community. When we do that, it paints a beautiful picture of how scripture not only teaches us about our past, but has the power to transform our lives today. If this is the first time that you are here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I do recommend that you pause and head back to episode one. I would not want you to miss the teachings, the parables, and the stories that have been shared. For right now, let's dive into week three of Storytellers. Last week, we dug into the importance of parables, and we saw how they are earthly stories that teach us heavenly meanings. Jesus would teach these parables using common situations and scenarios, throw in a curveball, and teach us about the heart of the Father, and even teach us a little bit about ourselves along the way. This way, you and I as readers and listeners could imagine ourselves in these stories and be challenged by the truth that Jesus would bring. This way of storytelling invites the listener to consider the idea that God can be seen all around us in our everyday lives. Which brings us to today's discussion. Did you know that parables are not the only place that you can find stories in the Bible? The Bible is in fact one singular story composed of numerous individual stories. Let me explain. The Bible isn't so much a book as it is a compilation of books. In fact, the Bible is comprised of 66 books written by about 40 authors over the course of about 1,500 years. And even with all of that diversity, they each wind up telling their portion of the same story. Now, if you're like me and you really nerd out about this stuff, I wanna let you know that you can learn a lot about the construction of the Bible, how it went from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into the version of the Bible that you're reading right now. There is loads of information about the thousands of ancient manuscripts that are used to translate the Bible into languages used all across the world. You can learn about how those stories were originally told, how they were preserved and collected. You can even learn about the councils that canonized the books that we now call the holy and inspired word of God. Truth be told, that would take a whole other podcast series to cover all of that content. So we've linked some of our favorite resources in the show notes below, if you wanna be like me and nerd out about the construction of the Bible. But when you look at that construction, what you'll find is the Bible is more than just a collection of stories. It's God's word in written form, penned by people who experienced his divine presence. God's invitation to read these stories is also an invitation to participate in the grand story that he's writing. We say it around here all the time that scripture is not only about information, but the transformation of our lives. 
So this grand story of the 66 books of the Bible all seek to answer this question. How does God redeem the world from sin and death? Now, I might not know what your background is or what you believe, but truth be told, I don't need scripture or even religion to convince you that something is broken in the world. We all know that life hurts and something deep within us tells us that it shouldn't be that way. Genesis chapter three explains why this is. It tells the story of how the first humans sinned against God and in doing so severely damaged their relationship with God, with each other, and even themselves. You and I now live in the wake of that sin as sin continues to permeate the reality of existence. But there's good news. The good news is that God didn't give up on us after Genesis chapter three. In fact, the rest of the Bible is the grand story of how God set out to redeem his creation, to restore what was lost from sin, and bring all of us back to the relationship with him that we were originally created for. So each individual story within these 66 books plays a part in that grand story of redemption. The story of Abraham shows how God began saving the world by calling one man to follow him. The story of Moses shows how God rescued his people from slavery and set them on the path to be his leaders in his great story. Today, we are going to look at the true life story of Joseph. It's a story that takes place in between Abraham and Moses, and it shows us how God is able to use anything, including suffering, to not only bless other people, but to forward his story of redemption. Joseph's story can be found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Now, I'm not going to read all of those chapters to you, but I recommend that this week you go back and read this story for yourselves. Joseph was one of 12 brothers and had a gift of being able to interpret dreams, both his own dreams and other people's dreams. It was made very clear at the beginning of the story that Joseph was his father's favorite son. Joseph one day also told his brothers that he had a dream that they were all bowing down before him. Needless to say, Joseph's brothers did not think very much of him. So having enough of Joseph, one day his brothers sold him into slavery and told their father that Joseph had died after being attacked by a wild animal. But the story doesn't end there. Because Joseph was a man of high character, he quickly rose in the ranks as a slave and ended up being the head of the estate for a man named Potiphar, who was the Pharaoh's personal guard. Now, this was just about the highest rank that a slave could hold. But it all came crashing down one day when Potiphar's wife tried to have an affair with Joseph. When he denied her advances, she made up a lie that Joseph had tried to take advantage of her. This landed Joseph behind bars in Pharaoh's prison. But the story doesn't end there. Again, because of Joseph's high character, he became a leader among the prisoners and was eventually invited to interpret a dream that Pharaoh had about an impending famine. When Joseph's interpretation proved to be right, Pharaoh put him second in command over all of Egypt, specializing in the collection and distribution of all of the food during the famine. 
but the story doesn't end there either. Because Egypt was the only place prepared for the famine, they were also the only place with food in that region. One day, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking to buy food, having no idea that the brother they sold into slavery years before was now in charge of all of the food in that region. Joseph eventually revealed his identity to his brothers and he forgave them. Beyond that, he invited his brothers and their families to come live in Egypt with him and enjoy the food and the shelter there. This is a powerful story in and of itself, but it also plays a key role in God's bigger story. You see, in Egypt, Joseph's family would grow and grow and grow and eventually become their own people group and nation known as the Israelites. God starts his story of redemption through one man named Abraham, ends up blessing his grandson, Joseph, and then growing the nation that he would choose to be his leaders in this story, the Israelites. These are the same Israelites that were rescued by Moses from Egypt, the same Israelites that would wander in the desert and make their way to the promised land, the same Israelites that were led by David, and from the Israelites would come Jesus, the savior of the entire world. Joseph's story is an example of how God is moving and working in our own story, even when we can't see it. He uses every part of our story, even the painful parts, to write his story of redemption for the world. This is made most clear in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 standing before his brothers, his brothers now knowing that they have come to the person for food who they once sold into slavery, Joseph says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In this beautiful moment of clarity, Joseph was able to see how God wove his goodness and his grace into his story, not only for himself, but for many people as well. This brings me to today's storyteller. I would like to introduce to you Ben Ronnie. Ben is a part of our Franklin campus, and to be honest, he has endured some significant hardship in his life. But God has made beauty from the ashes in his story. Now, I wanna make a note about Ben's story before we listen. Ben suffers from a condition called aphasia as the result of a stroke he experienced a few years ago. This condition sometimes prevents him from being able to get his words out. So Ben's wife, Stacy, has graciously offered to help Ben communicate his story if he needs it. So as you listen, you might hear Ben, you might also hear Stacy. At the end of the day, we believe that this only adds to the power of Ben's story. And he is actively living in the redemptive promise that is found in Scripture. We had a, I had a stroke about two years ago. This is, this is about my, my story. God was there the whole time. We, we didn't see that, that then. Now we look back and we see everybody, God had his hand there all the time. 
um, every day, every month, every year, helps us through everything. We had no warning at all for the stroke, none. And uh, I, was going, I was going to work. I was salesman. I was driving to go see my, my customer, where I usually go see him at his uh, office. Usually, I go there, and it takes some time, meet him, and that's it. But this day, um, I was parking the car, and there he was, right next to me. Um, I was like, wow, what are you doing? You know, and so as soon as I opened the door to say hello, the stroke hit right there. And I didn't I, 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 I say one word. I was down quickly. My point being was that I didn't have it going there. I got there safely. And then the guy who I've never seen ever outside his law office, first time ever I've seen there, there he knew what to do. And I, had, I was out, I'm gone for a while. He knew what to do, so they got an ambulance to get help and all that kind of stuff. And in the, meal t- in the meantime, um, a friend that I have lunch with a lot, um, uh, you, you called them, right? Uh, one of his friends also worked at the same location, and he saw what was going on, and he was able to call a friend that knew how to get in touch with me because I'm a teacher and I was working at school, so they were able to get in touch with me just through this random friend who happened to be there and see what was going on. So um, she's coming to help me, obviously. And then the same friend uh, said, well, don't go there. Go to Huntsville. He was in Decatur, and the friend directed us to get to the Huntsville Hospital as soon as possible. So they put us to the hospital here, there, at Decatur. And then we we um, life-flighted to Huntsville. Uh, she was driving, trying to get there when I was on, on the on the plane, and I don't remember anything really going on. And um, I, I knew something was there. That's all I knew. Not I'm not saying um, Jesus. I'm not saying God or anything. I'm just saying there was a, there's a presence there. Stacy gets there. They tell her and the doctors. Um, I probably won't be able to walk or talk or work. Forever again, and they warmed her and getting getting me ready for me when I wake up at some point. And they said, "Well, the odds of this are very, very, very slim." And I'm sorry, and she's scared. And the point of all this is, I had a green. It seemed just a few seconds, and it wasn't like TV, just like that. I I saw Jesus and I were walking, just like that. And I couldn't see his face, but I knew it was him. And we were just walking along, and all he said, and no no big things or anything like that, just all he said was, you're going to be okay. So when I come to, I, I look at her and I go, it's going to be okay. And he's like, no, <laughs> it's not going to be okay. <laughs> you know, all this stuff is going on, and and you're you're going to be in bed your life. You can't do this. You can't. You know? I said, well, I said, well, that's what he said. I I drove to the Decatur Hospital and saw him in the ER, and when they were loading him onto the helicopter. And at that point, it was I didn't know if he was going to be alive when I got to the Huntsville Hospital. So as I'm driving to the Huntsville Hospital. 
I had texted a friend at church um, to pray, and the pastor called me um, on the way to the hospital and just prayed with me over the phone. So then when I got to the hospital, thankfully there were some people from church there waiting on me. And when I went in to see him, he couldn't talk at all, hardly. And he was just really kind of out of it. But um, what he did say was, it's going to be okay. And that did give me some peace. But at the time, I'm thinking, okay, the doctors are saying he probably won't be able to walk. He probably won't be able to talk. Um, He's going to have to learn how to do everything again, um, if he even can. So So for me, I'm just very just overwhelmed. But... Those words that he did say gave me such peace. Having all the prayers around me gave me such peace at that time. I felt like God was going to get us through this somehow, even if he wasn't um, 100% after all of it, that it, it would be okay. So it was you know, very hard for her. And you know, I, didn't know, I didn't know any of that stuff, nothing. So it was all new for me. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Then you get um, where you have to get, try to get better. And I had to learn how to walk again, how to shave again, to spell dog um, all over again. Just like when you're, when you're a kid. And it was very, very hard. So another thing God helped us was we had the right people to help me get better. And they were not just uh, people to help you. They were God people. You know what I mean? Uh, especially a speech girl that we had. Uh, and I still, I still use her. Uh, getting better all the time. As she was a huge, godly person. It helped so much me. Yeah, his speech therapist, um, her name was Susanna. From the first moment that she came to our house, she basically started out with a prayer. We just knew that God sent her because up until that point, we were pretty discouraged because he had been in ICU for a few weeks, and then he had been in rehab for a few weeks. And it took a couple months before he was able to come back home. And once he got home, it was just kind of like, okay, now what? And we had physical therapists and everyone come in, and they just kind of did their thing. But when the speech therapist came in and started praying with us, we just, I think it just gave us that sense of hope. Um, Because up until that point, we just didn't know. We were like, what do we do with this? (laughs) So Susanna was just a real breath of fresh air for us and for Ben, Um, especially when I was working. She would be there with him and um, almost like a counselor, just kind of prayed us through the situation. So every, every, every step of the way, God helped everyone. And you know now you can, see, you can look at the we can watch the the whole thing, but at that time, everything's brand new and you're scared to death. You know, no money, no job, no this or that or anything you could do, but God was there the whole time. We had a lot of things come up along the way. He developed a staph infection when he was in the rehab center, um, which hindered his walking even more than just the stroke itself. Um, And that took a long time to recover from. But 
He did, thankfully. Um, we we since learned that people have lost limbs and things because of staph infection, and his was really bad. And we're just so thankful that that didn't happen. Just little things along the way, like he was saying, um, that would come up. I mean, all these medical bills, and and I'll never forget we got the life flight bill, and it was thousands and th- tens of thousands of dollars, and I just was like. Oh my goodness, what in the world? It just, it was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And to this day, we do not know how that bill was taken care of. Um, but, but they called all the time. They wanted their money. Yeah. All the time. And then it just stopped. And yeah. we don't, we don't know. We don't know if a family, friends, or what happened, but somewhere along the line, that was taken care of. And because he was always the primary breadwinner, um, we didn't know with him not working how we were going to make it. And it just, even to this day, I don't know how things have happened. You know, anytime we needed something, it's been there, mm-hmm. even to this day. See, I, I had money put back in case something happened like that. And and we thought we had the money. Not enough by a long, a long shot. So you have to, like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So we went through the money very quickly, and then we were in trouble. I was scared to answer the phone. I couldn't do anything because, like, they're all, every time they call, they want something. The whole thing's hard, very hard, but it's harder when it comes to money. But then little things along the way, like last summer, we were in Alabama, and we decided to move back to Nashville um, just because our parents are here, and his mom had passed away, and his dad was um, by himself, and Ben's an only child, so we, were, we just felt like it, we needed to be back here. But we were like, how are we going to do this? The builder who had built our home, actually, we called him about something and mentioned that we were moving, wanted to move back. He offered to buy our home, pay cash, no inspections. Again, just things like that happened, just that fell into place. Um, I'm a teacher. I called my old school. They had a spot for me. Just little things along the way like that would continuously happen and and still do. Mm-hmm. So we just know that God's hand is with us. That just It's just that reassurance. Anytime we would start to get a little worried or something, then something like that would happen. And it was just like, oh, okay, we can do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, <clears throat> I tell people all the time now, um, I do tell this story a lot for friends I like or whenever they need help. I'll, just, I'll tell every guy, girl, whatever, tell your wife or your kids or whatever it is you love, your dog, I don't care what it is, tell them you love them. Because that day is saying old day and boom, I could have never seen her or my mom or dad or anybody again. And I've always been a person of faith. Yeah, I knew God has worked in my life, but now it's different. There's a scripture about, you know, you will have trials, but um, that's okay because God will walk with you through those trials. And that's the biggest thing I think both of us have taken from this. I don't know. There's just a faith there that I don't think either one of us had before. There's another scripture about treasures in the darkness, and that's what I feel like this has been. It's been a real treasure. It's been a real treasure to see God work. It's been a real treasure to see our relationship grow to a whole different level and just to see what's real and what matters. 
gives them a lot of, you, you always hear about p p peace. Mm -hmm. And boy, um, after this, I know. You know, you know, but you, now you really know. And that was very important to, for both of us to get through that kind of stuff and understand, hey, uh, he's not somebody out somewhere that you don't talk to or, no, he's there all the time. And, you know, a lot of people have strokes and it's not a big deal. Some, some people die. Some people can't walk. But all those things that he got put back in me was a blessing beyond anything. So I may, I may, I may not be able to work like I used to, but I can't work and I can't do this and I can't do this and I can walk, you know. Uh, uh, shaving, oh, <laughs> probably the hardest thing for him to relearn oh my gosh I had blood everywhere <laughs> all the time uh, mm -hmm. so th th even that is some, a little bit of thing but it's a big deal because it probably took uh, what two years maybe to button a shirt and it's um, still slow but I can do it <laughs> he <laughs> so, still struggles with that yeah mm -hmm. so but all those things came together um, in God's timing and even though we're scared and still worried about the stuff, but but not not what it used to be. Like you know, I know, I know, mm -hmm. I know. Well, I think the when you heard him say it's going to be okay, those words we have clung on to, even to this day. We're just like, okay, God said it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And all all the people that helped us, um, amazing. And are still help, helping me all the time. You know, it's, it's been a hard thing, but it's been a great thing. Wouldn't you love to know God was there every day and you don't have to worry about it? You know, you just know. Whatever it is, he'll, he'll help it. It's okay. It's all right. You know, being a, a guy is really hard for people or for guys to let go because they want control and they want money and they want all that kind of stuff in your life. To be a, a guy and all that kind of stuff, and now you learn it doesn't matter. I hope you get the point that it's, it's always a work in purpose, you know. And uh, but your faith in your in God is not; it's there. I'll never forget um, when he was laying there in the emergency room. I remember thinking, kind of what you were saying. You always worry, especially you. He always worried, and he always wanted to be in control. And when he was laying there, he could have died. <laughs> um, you just realize that all that worry and all that stuff is for nothing. And during my life, God was there. You know, not all the time, you know, like you feel like it, but that big things that happened during my life that I knew was the hand of God. I knew that. But nothing this big, and, you know, even— the, even when you're a person of faith and church and all that stuff, I, I love that kind of stuff. But it's different when you see it big time. You know, that he can really do his job, and, and I don't have to worry. And this is Stacy, you know, and uh, whatever happens, it happens. And we're going to be okay. And we're, at some point, we'll be up there with Jesus again. The important thing I would say is, Trust in God all the time. And don't worry about it. It'll all work out. Okay? Just punt the ball to him and let him, let him play. And don't worry about it. 
We looked at story through a different lens today. Instead of diving into a parable, we zoomed out and saw that the Bible is one long story answering one simple question. How does God redeem the world? Even right now, we are a part of that story that God continues to write. Our individual lives and our role in the body of Christ are all contributing to the story that God is authoring throughout history. Y'all, this blows my mind, and it's what I want you to walk away with today. So the next moment that you feel like that your story doesn't matter, that your life doesn't have value, I want you to remember Joseph's story. You might not even know the significant role that you are playing in the story that God is writing. That's the reason why he created you. So as we close this episode, whether you are currently facing suffering or have recently walked through something difficult, I pray that you find encouragement knowing that not only is our suffering temporary, through the grace of God, it can be made purposeful. Now, I'm not saying that God authored your suffering, but I am saying that he is so good that he can use all things to further his story of redemption. As we close out this episode today, I want to remind you that we are all a part of a story that fits into God's bigger story, a story that he is still writing in my life and in yours. So as he reveals to you how your story fits into his, we'd love to hear about it at crosspoint.tv slash share your story. You can like and subscribe to this podcast. And if this episode has been meaningful to you, I hope that you share it. You can tag Crosspoint at crosspoint.tv. And if we see that post, we might have the opportunity to repost it. Follow along with our Storytellers Sunday series at crosspoint.tv slash watch now and check out the show notes for questions to help you go deeper as you explore the scriptures that we talked about today. Y'all, thanks for journeying with me through another story today. I pray that you would feel God near to you in the midst of your story. Next week, we are coming back to the parables by digging into one of the most famous parables ever told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We will also hear an incredible story about what it means to love your neighbor through one of our Crosspoint staff members, Paige Bumpus. Check this out. I get a lot of people that ask, like, how do you co-parent so well? Or how do you guys get along when we have pictures of all four of us plus Rhett on Facebook or whatnot? A lot of that, I mean, that credit just goes to God, that we have Jesus as our example of what we should do, that we should love one another. And He doesn't say, like, love everybody except your ex-husband and his new wife. Um, we just love everyone, and we love everyone the same, no matter, like, the past that they come with. You know, the narrative of divorce is that it can be ugly and that it is traumatic and it can be all of those things if you let it. But I think if you um, just put God at the center of it, that you can, He can redeem that story and turn it into something beautiful too.